else is on? everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of Hope Makes Chris Watch Cartoons, an animation podcast for geeky girl experience. I'm Hope Mullinax and I make my friend Chris Honeywell watch my favorite animated shows. In this episode, trapped in the apocalypse and menaced by villains new and old, Dipper finds himself in a race to find Mabel. We're talking about part one of the Gravity Falls finale, Weird Mageddon part one this week. How you doing, Chris? We're in the finale! Yeah, finally. Well, not finally, but yeah, this is the stuff I've been waiting for. See, if I made this show, this is how it would have been day one. <laughs> so, yeah, this was what uh, I, I was actually really wondering about, because this was what you've been waiting for. You're like, where's my Lovecraftian horror things? And at one point, you see a cut. I actually have in my Cthulhu's notes. Cthulhu's walking around in this one, yeah. I have in big letters in my notes. You got your Cthulhu monster! <laughs> I knew there had to be one sometime. I'm so happy for you. Did, did you enjoy it? Oh, I enjoyed every second of it. I got a big list of favorites. I do, too. I, I actually cut a couple out because I, it was getting too long, so so I did. I did cut a couple out. Well, are you ready just to get into it? I'm ready. All right. <clears throat> Weird Mageddon Part 1 is the 38th episode of Gravity Falls, and it aired on October 26, 2015. It was written by Alex Hirsch, Josh Weinstein, and Jeff Rowe. The director was Sunil Hall. And the storyboard artists were Dana Terrace, Luke Weber, Steven Sandoval, and Ben Holm. Some extra information for you. Pyronica, the female creature of Bill's crew, is voiced by Daniel Fischel, who is best known for playing Topanga in Boy Meets World. Hectorgon, the hectagon man with the mustache, is voiced by Patrick McHale, who is the creator of Over the Garden Wall and was a writer for Flapjack and Adventure Time. And out of Bill's crew, Hectorgon is Alex Hirsch's favorite. Teeth, the walking pair of teeth, is voiced by Andy Merrill, who is best known for playing Brack in Space Ghost Coast to Coast. And then Pacifier and Keyhole are both voiced by series writer and director Matt Chapman. The horrifying, sweaty, one-armed monstrosity was originally voiced by Louis C.K., but after he admitted to sexual harassment, Alex Hirsch went back and redubbed the character's lines himself, which is now what plays when the episode airs. I think I saw the Louis C.K. version. I was about to say, because I remember watching that version where you watch it, and then when I was watching it on Disney Plus for this recording, I was like, yeah, that's very clearly Alex Hirsch. I was watching it going like, Man, if that's not Louis C.K., it's somebody totally, like, doing a parody of his delivery. Yeah, and Alex Hirsch does a a, a darn good parody of Louis C.K., but, like, I absolutely understand why they changed it. Well, yeah. 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 The live-action sequence in this episode has Jason Ritter and Linda Cardinelli portraying their characters of Dipper and Wendy. Alex Hirsch said in an interview with Disney Insider... Jason and Linda are such good sports, and it was ridiculously fun having them finally dress up as these characters. The weirdest thing was seeing the final product, because Linda looks like a very convincing Wendy, but Jason looks like Dipper on steroids. Everyone in the office cracked up when we saw the final footage. And there's actually a deleted scene of that live-action sequence where Jason and Linda played up being their live-action selves, and it's very easy to find on YouTube. I actually sent it to Chris, so he can... I saw it. Yeah, it was a, it's a lot of fun. 
Originally, Bill was going to have a song about Weird Mageddon called It's Gonna Get Weird. The song was written by Neil Cicerica, who is the creator of Harry Potter Puppet Pals, in case anyone's uh, wondering about that, who had also recorded a demo for it, but it was cut for time. They couldn't find the time to include the song, but the song can be found floating around on YouTube. I would suggest waiting to see it if you ever want to hear it, Chris, till after the finale, because most fans have animated it. Oh, okay. And so there's... there's I, I watched it a couple of times, and there's, there's a couple, spoilers in a couple it. of it because fans were using like. That's clips from the why show. you didn't send me a copy. I figured something like that was going on because you didn't send me a copy of that, but you sent me the live action stuff. I see. Yeah, though so I did send you the Schmebulock tug and tug and talk. Yes. <laughs> I thought you would like that a lot. I did like it. And finally, it was stated by Alex Hirsch at Houston Comic-Con that Time Baby and Bill do not like each other. And if they saw each other at a party, they would be doing that awkward circle thing where they're making eye contact, but they're not talking to each other. And everybody's like, do they know each other? Do they have history? He said both have godlike abilities. And if you look at stories with gods like Greek mythologies, god characters tend not to like each other. He also said that given the chance, Bill would be a terrible babysitter for Time Baby. Well, as always, Hope Makes Chris Watch Cartoon is broken into parts. Part one, we'll talk about the stories, themes, and character. Normally, part two, we would be talking about Dipper's journal entry, but I'm choosing to not read the journal entries until we finish the finale. Okay, yeah, I can see that, too. We're there, so there's there's nothing really to read. How could there be journal entries? Yeah, we saw the journals get burned today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> part three, or whatever part we're on, is going to be the Cypher Corner and connections to previous episodes. And then we'll have Chris's Speculation Corner, where I have a very specific question for you. All right, Chris, what are your favorite parts of the episode? I'm very excited about your very long list of favorite parts. Um, The Northwest Face Shuffle is a good one. Oh, my God, it's a horror show. And I, and I like it that it's right off the bat because it shows that Bill's not messing around. Like it is, it shows how dangerous how dangerous he is right there and then right off the bat. Got the best credit sequence so far. The theme I thought I have the theme song too. I remember watching the theme song for the first time and like the music started going weird and I was like, what is happening? And then the entire theme song is different. Like that is that's just really smart on the crew's part. It really is. Like that's just fantastic. Yeah, they're having fun. I like the character of Ghost Eyes. He's been in the show, though, but this is the most he's been in the show. I just like he's a philosophy major. <laughs> I like the little sticker on the computer that you see that says Edgy on Purpose on it. I like how Toby Toby got his end-of-the-world gear at Hot Topic. Yeah. And I, and I like Gideon has a gum spittoon. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually, I kind of shuffled around some of my notes because I was like, I have too many... My favorite part is also the theme song, because I, I just remember seeing it for the first time and that feeling of just like, this is so smart. Like, this was really brilliant on their part. One of my notes that I cut out is Wendy's line of, wow, the death metal album's got the end of the world, right? <laughs> Which is such a good line. <laughs> Which is a line that probably a lot of kids will, that would go over their heads. <laughs> oh, what was the other one? I, I cut out. That's not on my list. Oh. If I remember correctly, it was it was something with Toby. Toby does something in this episode that makes me laugh every time. Uh, I think it's when he co- becomes Bodacious T, because he finally gets that confidence boost that he needs. He's like, I'm Bodacious T now, and I don't give a fuck. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, you go, Toby Determined. You've been 
being down this entire show. Good for you. Well, thus he picked up his attitude at Hot Topic. I, I love God. As someone who's worked at Hot Topic, I love Edgy on purpose so much. <laughs> one of my favorite sequences also is the weirdness bubble sequence. For one, I just like seeing between Dipper and Wendy and then Ghost Eyes and Gideon's cars, just the different animation styles and how the characters change. I think that's so clever, and I really enjoy that. But I I love seeing Jason and Linda as their characters. And I had that moment when I when I watched this for the first time going, oh my god, it's Jason and Linda. <laughs> like, there they are. <laughs> like, they're playing themselves. And I was like, that's so cool. Like, that's so cool that they did that because it was so unexpected. And it's still one of my favorite moments of the show. Like, it just it just caught me off guard and I love it still. Um, and my other favorite note is Glendon Blandon yelling, my body is a temple, how dare you? And his little squeaky voice can still possess him. And he's like, my body is a temple. Just the words, my That's body. That's my purse. <laughs> I don't know you. That's my purse. That is one of my favorite episodes of King of the Hill. I'm not going to lie. I actually jokingly say that a lot of times. <laughs> <laughs> That's my purse. I don't know you. Probably my other favorite part to start getting into this because it's so cute and he's trying so hard. But at the very beginning, when Bill and his crew shows up, and everybody in Gravity Falls is, like, coming together, and you have that moment where Mayor Tyler and Get'em Guy is just like, you, get on out of here, and he's trying so hard to stand up to Bill, and then shit goes to hell <laughs> very quickly. <laughs> but I just love that moment where he's just like, you, get on out of here. <laughs> he's so cute. I'm like, I'm like, I love you, Mayor Tyler. I'm so glad you're the mayor. And also the Preston Northwest moment where he's like, hello, as the local capitalist here, I am here to embrace you. Maybe I could be a mm. horseman of your apocalypse. And the Pacifica face just like, dad, it's so good. I'm babbling now. How are you? I just like how he was like, uh, the grownups are talking. That, that open, open sequence was so good because it had to really establish quickly for, for one, because the show is ending, the crew doesn't have to hold back anymore. They can just go full horror if they want to. And it really does establish from the get-go several things. It shows that Bill's not fucking around. He's not going to be, like, taking, like, any mortals at this time. And it shows and sets the danger of the series. Because normally you would have this moment in, like, a lot of times where the town would come together and they'd be like, we're going to fight you, stand down. And the bad guy's like, oh, I'm outnumbered. And Bill's just like, nope, your face is messed up. You're a stone person now. We're going to party. Let's go. Yeah, I like that they got Ford right out of the way right at the beginning. Yeah. Leaving the main characters to have to, have to uh, resolve the situation. It's set up forward with like, I've got a gun that'll just solve everything. And then it's, and then it's just like, nope, you're made of stone now or whatever he's made of. That's, I, and I really like that moment too, because, you know, you feel like, especially a lot of times in kids shows, that the adults can fix everything. But in this instance, like, none of the adults can fix anything. Like, it completely falls to Dipper. And actually, that was a, that was a fan theory for a while there. But because there was like what like like three months between this episode and the next episode, so there was kind of a fan theory going around that Ford did that on purpose, so Bill's attention would be completely on him, so Dipper could get Mabel and come back and say today. So it, it was it was a really interesting fan theory, but 
I, I liked that. I liked that shit mm. got real when Ford fell because he's the person who knows Bill the best, and now he's gone. Now he's a back scratcher. So, so let's talk about Weird Mageddon and the apocalypse. Bill's finally in the limelight. This is what you wanted. Like, what, what are your thoughts on how Weird Mageddon is playing out? It's a good training for kids when they grow up and take LSD. They'll be, <laughs> they'll be familiar with the visual aspects of it. I thought you were about to say it's a good training for when kids get into Lovecraft. I was not expecting the LSD end of that sentence. No, that too. I was going to say that too. It's a good train. It's training wheels for LSD and Lovecraft for sure. If the creators of this haven't taken a lot of psychedelics, they're well familiar with the imagery of it at the very least, which is very possible. That imagery has been soaked into our culture. But this is more psychedelic than like yellow submarine cartoon, you know, movie by the Beatles, stuff like that with the blue meanies and stuff. This is this is cra- some crazy stuff for little kids. It's you know, you know, it's I mean, it's crazy for, let's say, American cartoons, because there's been plenty of cartoons from other from Asia and Europe that have been equally psychedelic and dealing with interdimensional themes and stuff like that but for an american car- cartoon this is pretty this one's pretty whacked out in the best possible way they balance everything with jokes like like the the what came to my mind just now was like Ablolita being changed into a chair and she's like i'm just gonna take a nap now and she just kicks herself back yeah, well, that's like a that's like a pure Family Guy joke. Yeah, they they actually except that would have been just like a throwaway gag in Family Guy because they don't really they don't really like cling to reality anyway. They'll just have something like that. What if Abuelita was a chair? Bah. But this one has a reason for it. But it was just a nice little throwaway gag. That just shows the power of uh, Josh Weinstein's writing. Josh Weinstein is a, is a Simpsons writer, and it feels like he's really in his element with these, like, throwaway kind of gags and lines. Yeah, except they're as evil as they are funny. They're, they're, they're as horrifying, not even evil, they're more, they're just, there's more, they're as equally horrifying and funny because they're characters that have been built up over two seasons. Yeah. <laughs> so then we're seeing just horrible things happen to them. Oh, when Blubs, when, <laughs> when Derlin gets turned to stone and Blubs is like, my Derlin! And he just gets taken away. Blubs is so sad. He's just like, no, my Maryland. I just, I oh, gets me every time. What did you think of Bill's partying crew, like all the monsters and stuff? Oh, they were fun. I like, I, I enjoy that they're all just sort of like a bunch of his friends are just a bunch of slobs, <laughs> sort of d- dumber versions of him. I, I actually uh, wrote this down when Roy Kaiser was reviewing the show. They described Bill as an interdimensional frat boy, and I thought that was just the perfect description yeah. of what's happening here. Yeah, he is. He's totally an interdimensional rich kid. He's just like, hey, all you plebs. Yeah, that's totally what he is. Oh, my God. I know. Oh, my God. I read oh that out. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Prediction. Writing down prediction. <laughs> Like in their review, like in their recap, and I was like, "Oh my god, that's the perfect explanation for Bill. He is an interdimensional." And you even have that moment where the time police shows up with Time Baby, and Bill is like, "Hide the time punch. Everyone, play it cool. It's fine. It's fine. It's just the cops." I'll do the talking. Yeah. (laughs) I 
And I love that scene, too, because, like, Time Baby's showing up, and you have, like, Bill, like, being like, it's cool, guys, it's cool. Just flush the weed down the toilet. (laughs) The time weed. I also like that moment, too, because killing the Time Baby is another big moment because it shows Bill's power, because Time Baby has been set up as this godlike entity. If he killed the Time Baby, I'm doubt, I, I'm not 100% sure the Time Baby was killed or or just vanished or... Because Time Baby's got time stuff up their sleeve, you know what I mean? Yeah, we'll, we'll come back to, okay, to Time Baby's not dead. It just takes a thousand years for him to come back. <laughs> and I, again, I have in big letters, you got your Cthulhu monster. I think my favorite is the Water Tower. I think that's very funny that it just kind of goes around and just yells at things just like, ah! So, I have this broken down between Dipper and Wendy, Gideon, and then I have a whole Seuss note. Did you have anything about Bill and his party and crew before we start getting into, like, the character stuff? No, all my stuff falls into those other character categories, so I'm ready to, I'll just, I'll just throw mine in. I like how the finale kind of, met, like, fits the same narrative beats as the season one finale, where Dipper was facing off against Gideon. But it's different, because in the season one finale, like, Dipper was like, all I have is the journals, I'm nothing without the journals. But Dipper's not in that place anymore. He has his confidence, he has his abilities, and he he has the journals, but he's not, like, has that fear without them. So the moment that Bill destroys them, Dipper is like, alright, it's just me now, I'm on my own, let's go. Which is a very great shows his growth from the season one finale when Gideon was like, you're nothing without the journals, and Dipper's like, yeah, I'm nothing. He's not in that place anymore, and that's a really great, huge character growth for him. The last thing he got from Ford was uh, basically, you know, that's what heroes do. If if you don't have anything, it's hopeless. You're still trying. So that's that was the last thing he got from Ford. So I'm guessing that he's operating on, that he took that to heart. Yeah, and and to be honest, like I I give Ford a little bit of a hard time because I love that he's a dick, but that is a really good moment for Ford because to me Ford's always been kind of this like oh I have to go on it alone I'm kind of a lone wolf person like I can't do this on my own can't have that family and he gives that piece of knowledge to to Dipper of just like find Mabel you guys have to do this. Well, the thing about Ford is he's like he's like an artist. You know how you have your your artists that you like, but they're like shitty people, oh, or they're bad people, yeah. and stuff. That when when it comes to fighting uh, Armageddon, Ford's in his art. He doesn't have time to be a dick. Then he's doing his thing. So he's solving the problem rather than telling uh, Dipper he's got to get away from Mabel and stuff like that. So he doesn't really get a chance to be a, a jerk in this in this one. And you know, if you're and when he gets set up frozen, you might as well freeze him at a, at a good point in, instead of a jerky point. It's it's a moment of despair that he gets frozen, but it's also good because it takes him out of the the it takes him out of the driver's seat and pretty much puts Dipper in the driver's seat, even though. There's other adults around and somewhere stands kicking around. It's Dipper who's gonna be the one who's gonna deal have to deal with this. And honestly, it helped raise the stakes because Ford is the one that knows the yeah. most about Bill. So now it's just like, oh shit. <laughs> yeah, it uh, it took what well, it took the most powerful equation on the good guy's side r- out right at the very beginning. I, I say that 
for the dick. I like that. I, I flawed is a better word. Yeah, no, that's a good way to start a three part three part arc. I mean, I mean, things probably should get even worse midway to the towards the end of next episode, you know, in order to set it up for the finale. So yeah, I'm expecting more more trouble ahead. But that's not one of my predictions because that's too obvious. I absolutely adore seeing Wendy just thriving in the apocalypse. <laughs> Dude, she's Mad Max. She is. She has a police car like like Mad Max does. I thought I I thought for sure because I know how much you love Fury Road that they the play Mad- Fury Road music when she's driving. They're, it's that's obviously like a nod to Fury Road. The music is just like. I I absolutely thought it was going to be one of your favorite points was the the Mad Max sequence because I know how much you love Fury Road. As soon as I saw the headgear on the prison guys, I'm like, oh, we're going Mad Max. And then when I saw Wendy was going Mad Max. I love when she kicks Gideon and he just goes, Wee! <laughs> I mean, she beats lo- the shit the, out mean, of them. That is my favorite kind of ass kicking where she's just like, you know, take those out of your, you know, I'm going to break this guy's arm. Take those out. That's a Billy Jack reference. Uh, sometime I'll have to send you the clip of Billy Jack where the sheriff and all his men surround Billy Jack in the, in the park. Billy Jack's just like, I'm going to kick you right on the left side of your face, knock you down onto the ground, and there's not a thing you can do about it. Oh, is that what you're going to do? Oh, yeah, that's exactly what I'm going to do. Whap! (laughs) (laughs) Sheriff's hat goes flying. So, yeah, that's what I love. She's just like, yeah, you know, my dad trained me to kill all you guys. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. There's her dad. That's what I'm waiting for. I know he's with the townspeople at the very beginning, so it has to be yeah. assumed that he was captured or turned to oh. stone. I, but I, I love Wendy. I, I, she's so good in this scene. Um, in this entire episode, I, I feel like the fact that she's thriving, she just beats the shit out of Gideon's crew. And that moment where Dipper's just like, Wendy, you're the coolest person I know. And she's like, I know, dude, I know. <laughs> I'm like, well, yeah. I think when she beats up all those guys, I think that's when they start sort of being like, yeah, or she, the, she, the, she's earning more respect than Gideon is. Plus, <laughs> I love the line of like, yeah, beating up on little kids was, uh, the, the, it sounds much better fighting an interdimensional uh, triangle guy. And I love the scene where it's different when he's sitting on the roof of the mall. And he re- and she encourages him to find Mabel because the twins are stronger together. And that's really important because that's where Ford failed in the past with Bill is because he didn't have his twins. He didn't have somebody to go, this guy's bad news, Ford. You have to be aware of this guy. Because every time that Dipper and Mabel have beaten Bill, they've always been together. Um, and I, I really like that scene. That's such a good scene, especially when she's just like, "You, I've seen you two do amazing things this summer. Uh, but nothing's been amazing as the two of you together. And I just, I love that scene. I think it's it's a good way in the middle of the finale, as we start the finale, to reintroduce, like, why the twins are so important, why their relationship is so important. And it's a good little touchstone of, like, this is what the series is about, is this family unit. I agree with that. So, Gideon. <laughs> Did you like Gideon in this episode? Yeah, I was kind of predictable because... I figure all the humans have to team up together at some point. 
it becomes a sort of, you know, alien attack thing where, like, a lot of enemy, you know, there's going to be some strange bedfellows. Although, I don't know if Gideon's totally trustworthy on his, like, because really, like, Dipper's played on his emotions of love for Mabel, but Gideon's kind of a sociopath, so he, he might have sensed the tide turning with his uh, <laughs> prison buddies, you know, so so his turn isn't totally trustworthy. Although, sort of half prediction is I sort of have a feeling that when we run into Stan, he it might be Stan and Gideon. <laughs> like, we're pals now! I like that you brought that up, because I don't consider this a full redemption for Gideon. Because he's still not a great person. Like, he's still... And actually, I, I was kind of musing about this earlier, because so many people gave Mabel a lot of shit when she gave Bill the Rift last episode. And everyone's like, hey, she's 12, let her go. Gideon's 11. Do we hold him to the same standards of he's 11? Or is he just so much of a sociopath we hold him to a different standard? That's a hard question. I mean, there's not, I don't, I don't have an answer. I'm just being kind On of paper, like... On paper, he's 11, but the character in the story is played... Way older. As basically an adult child, like an adult in a child's body. Like, Mabel and, and Dipper are a little, little played more mature maybe than their ages, but not really. And Gideon, Gideon is like a little man boy, you know, so it's hard to, it's hard to say what his, you know, what his deal is. You could say he's 11 years old, but he's, been, he's in adult prison. <laughs> yeah. That was not in my notes. That was just amusing I had earlier as I was writing notes. But I like that it's not a full redemption arc because he's still a bad person. But at the very least, Gideon letting go of Mabel is a big moment for his character because she has been the driving force of his character for two seasons. And that obsession. And I, I am glad that he finally realizes that Affection is not Mabel being in a cage. And that little moment where he's just like, Dipper, I want you to tell Mabel what I did fighting Bill. And he's like, okay, I will. Like, it, it's interesting because I, I, I don't feel as that he's redeemed. 90% chance to me it's manipulation, him saying that. <laughs> he's a sociopath. He's playing a total sociopath character. Him being Gideon or Dipper. Gideon. Okay. Dipper. Dipper's not a socio sociopath. I didn't think Dipper so. I, I thought you were talking that Dipper was man manipulating Gideon, and then I was confused. <laughs> oh, he was manipulating Gideon, but I think man G Gideon, and I mean, you can manipulate a sociopath, but I think, I, I, I don't trust that, that, that Gideon was like, like feeling remorse or like looking at the pictures of Mabel and going, oh, look, she wasn't really happy, you know? Oh, blah, blah, blah. Like, I, I think he just was like, it's in my best interest right now to do this. You don't see him go off and fight Bill either. They just ride off. So you don't know what's going on with him. So I don't I don't trust I don't trust that redemption at all until I see it. The only other note I actually I do I have one note about ghost eyes is that I love that again his like you said he's a philosophy major and he's just like have we the prisoners become the wardens and I'm like oh yes ghost eyes get existential on me <laughs> <laughs> the only other note I have is Seuss would absolutely be the handyman of the apocalypse and would absolutely have folk songs written about him because he's Seuss I like that I think there's been a couple folk songs written about me 
I'm hoping at I'm hoping at the end of one of the future episodes they have one of those Seuss folk songs play over the the after the credits or over the credits. Well, there's got to be some fan Seuss folk songs out there too. I wouldn't put it past Alex Hirsch to have some written down somewhere that because I would love to hear them. <laughs> but yeah, I I like that idea of like what Seuss has been doing because they need an explanation because he was all like I'm gonna go help my friends and the idea that he's just been helping people this entire time it's very from the moment that like we had him in episode two like where he shows up and he's ready to throw down in the Gobblewonker episode for these two kids he barely knows. He's been this character this entire time, ready to help and fight and protect people. And it's who he's always been, and I like him in that role in the apocalypse. <laughs> oh. Uh-oh? Oh, I'm sorry, I was... <laughs> I'm sorry, I wasn't talking to you, I was talking to my dad. <laughs> <laughs> My my cat is stupid cat is in heat again. She never goes out of heat and she just like stormed into my room, looked at me and was like, Rah and I'm like, Oh what? And then she just sort of went and sat down halfway between me and the door. It was just Sorry. A, no, it was so perfectly played because I was like, This is the perfect rule for Seuss and you're just like, Oh like <laughs> like you just had an <laughs> It was the same sound you made earlier when I said that Bill was an interdimensional frat boy. You're like, I have a prediction. And I was like, did you yeah. not think he was? It was in the show. <laughs> I was just mimicking the tones of my cat. I'm sorry, but I do agree that I do agree. <laughs> Although I don't find it as revelatory as Bill being an interdimensional frat boy. <laughs> but did you have anything else for the episode? Uh, no, not really. I'm in, I'm digging it. I'm like... Kind of can't wait to oh, watch. I did have one more note. I forgot this. I forgot it was at the bottom. I think my favorite of the creatures that Bill brings through is the horrifyingly sweaty one-armed monstrosity that wants everybody to get into his mouth. Yes. Yeah, I like I like that character a lot. And it even looks like Louis C.K. That was a, gr- that was a great creature. That That sounds like something they were just like, all right, this is this is the idea. You're a head with an arm attached to it, and you want to eat people, and then they just let him go. That actually, um, I guess I forgot to put in the notes, is the credits. So that credit sequence when it's just him just rolling around, um, they let CK go for 30 minutes and just improv. And then they pulled that little bit from a 30-minute improv of him just being that. But CK aside, because CK is a monster and a horrible person and go fuck himself, I do like the concept of that character. I think it's a, and just how normal it, it just seems to act while trying to eat people. Cause he's just casually just like, why don't you want me to eat you? How rude. Why are you walking away from me? I gotta go call my mom. Like it's, it's, it's a very interesting like caricature and that monster always stuck out to me. So. Yeah. Well, no, there's guys like that in cities. That's a city guy. Mm-hmm. He's like, Hey, Hey, lady, what up? Oh, yeah, just walk away, you know, and, and but mm-hmm. except he, he's a monster that wants to eat people and he just can't believe they don't want to get in his mouth. What's so unreasonable about that? that? That's what I'm here for is to put people in my mouth. They don't want to go in my mouth. Why are you walking away from me? <laughs> yeah. Hey, lady. Anyway, uh, but that's all I have for the episode. So are you ready to move on? I am. Well, like I said, 
no journal entry for this episode. So we're going to move on to the cipher corner and connections to previous episodes. One of the ciphers leads to the connection to the previous episodes, and it's kind of a convoluted one, so let's go. So the cryptogram at the end of the credits, once it's decipher, it reads, It will take 1,000 years for Time Baby's molecules to reconstitute, and when he's back, he's going to be very cranky. So this leads to a callback from two episodes, and it wasn't obvious until fans put the pieces together. So in this episode, we of course see Bill destroy Time Baby. Way, 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 way back in the Gravity Falls short mailbox, where Seuss and Dipper are talking to the all-knowing mailbox, they asked when the world would end, and the mailbox answers 3,012, which is exactly 1,000 years after the events of Weird Mageddon. That would be exactly 1,000 years when Time Baby will be brought back. This led fans to think that when Dipper and Mabel go to the future in the Time Traveler's Pig and we see Time Baby going on a rampage in the background, Weird Mageddon is what set that off. Yeah, he was cranky. He was cranky. So that was kind of like one of those... He was cool... having a tantrum. He was having... I do like that line where he's like, Or oh, you'll face my tantrum, Bill Cipher! <laughs> And finally, the flashing page cryptogram at the end of the credits read, The game is over, and I won. Now it's time to start the fun. I always love corrupting lives. Now let's see which Pines survives. So what's your speculation, Corner? I think obviously we're going to see the, the journals restored because they published them and you read them from them. But I think at the end... I think we're going to have a Star Trek ending. How I think do you Bill's mean? Par- I think Bill's parents are going to show up and they're going to be pissed and embarrassed about their son. How is that Star Trek? Because that's a, that's a Star Trek cliche is like they get kidnapped by a godlike entity who like threatens their lives. And at the end, his parents show up and like, what are you doing? You're supposed to be home for dinner right now. They made fun of it also in Futurama. Oh. One of the first last episodes of Futurama, I think the first last episode of Futurama, and they had all the the living Star Trek crew on in voices, and they all took their head. You oh, know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And at the end of, he's a very bad little boy, is what he is. I forgot. And, yeah. So that's that's I'm 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 predicting something like that with Bill. Some some higher authority of Bill is gonna come along and be like, Bill, what the hell are you doing? I'm sorry about this, folks. <laughs> what do you think is inside Mabel's bubble? And that I think they're going to cop from the movie uh, What Dreams May Come, if you've ever seen that with Robin Williams. Of course you know I haven't, because I don't watch movies, so please explain. It's an afterlife movie. Ro- Robin Williams Robin Williams and his wife lose their kids. Oh my god, I have to- seen this movie, but please keep talking for anybody who hasn't. Yes. <laughs> And then, or, or no, Robin Williams, I think, loses his wife and his kids and survives. And then he's killed in a car crash and goes into the afterlife. And two characters who end up being his kids, <laughs> two adult characters, one of them a black man, uh, who end up being like actually his kids, has sent him basically to hell uh, to rescue the mother. Or he sends himself to hell. He he basically rescues the mother from a self-imposed hell in the afterlife. But I think that's what they're going to have Mabel in, sort of. Like, 
not as much as like not like a psychological hell of her own like making but just sort of like something so, something set up to to just crush her spirit you know she's in a, in a you know it, it just sets her up to basically be in the most weakest state very much like stan's nightmare sort of but in a bubble just to keep mabel in low low spirits all right i don't have this written down i just thought of it while you were talking um where do you think stan is in all this I don't know. I think they're just waiting for a dramatic and probably hilarious reveal of where Stan is. He might be in the basement. <laughs> it's it's hard to say. Sort of sort of thinking he might be hooking up with Gideon. <laughs> All right. I'm going to let you know, and I won't tell you which one, which ones. Several of your predictions are coming true next week. But I oh, won't good. Tell, but I won't tell you which ones, and it's it's a very obvious one. Okay. <laughs> I just remembered all the video game characters coming to life and Rumble just yes. being like, I live now. <laughs> I live and I and I I live to punch. Yeah, I kind of wish Giffany came out of that too because then because the, I would love to have that moment where Sue's just just like, oh no, she's back <laughs> because it's her his video game girlfriend coming to kill him and that would be amazing. <laughs> you know who's also amazing? Oh. Not you. Who? Wrong show. <laughs> Our amazing patrons. Oh yeah. So my God, we got to. It just seemed like this show flew right by. That I can't believe we're at the end. Well, I also, you know, I haven't been reading the journal and. That's true. That's true. And you know when you kind of reach the end of the shows, so you're just when you're talking about just the following action. You know, there's only so much. You know, and like a lot of the heavy character lifting has been done on this show. We're gonna have some character moments in that, but it's gonna it's we're in the payoff part basically. Yeah, we are in we are in the payoff of everything part of the show. So it's more like just coming in and cataloging it. It's not like, you know, Ford showed up today and now we're having to deal with the apocalypse and Ford or something, you know. The saddest part will be two episodes from now when you go, what are your predictions? Oh, no predictions. I know. I know. And then we'll be, when we go into Avatar, uh, we're not even going to have a predictions corner because there's no mystery to Avatar. It's just a very well-made show. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, we'll find, there, there'll, be, there'll, there'll be something else. We'll find something else for Avatar. I'm, I'm, I'm scheming of how I want to structure the Avatar show when we get there, so we'll, we'll see, we'll see. But we're not yeah. there yet. We're talking about our awesome patrons. So I do want to take a moment to thank our fantastic people who support the show. They're all lovely, amazing people, and I adore them so much. So thank you so much to Patrick, Kate, Alex, and Bree. Lynn, Billy, Heather, Buccio, Brian, and Jean. Your support means the world to me. You guys keep the show running. I love you guys so much. Um, I adore you, and I'm knocking things over because I love you so much because I, I did it again. Oh, God. Uh, I spun my hand around and, like, knocked like, something onto my desk. It's fine. Because I love you so much. Like, really, your support means the world to me. And if you guys also listening, you want to support the show as well, you can go to patreon.com slash Experience. You support the show as low as a dollar. And if you want episodes early and behind-the-scenes content, it's $7. That easy. What? Yeah. So thank you guys so much. All right, Chris. What are your final thoughts of the episode? Oh, I loved it. It wasn't a boring 
I don't think there's been a boring moment of Gravity Falls or 22 minute shows, but I mean, it was all candy and it's all story candy. It's not even like, I mean, it is a lot of gags, but it's gags of the whole place going Lovecraftian. And it's fun because it's for kids. So it's not like Lovecraft movies are fun, but they're also grueling. Um, if you ever feel like watching Color Out of Space to see how basically the scenario would sort of play out <laughs> in, lo- in adult Lovecraft world, that would be a good, uh, you won't believe what happens to the llamas, but. <laughs> yeah. I agree. Like, I love this episode. The finale comes out with a bang. Like, it really does. And Bill finally gets to be in his element. We actually, it would have been really easy to easily make Bill too much, but they've done such a good job kind of, like, balancing him. You know what, actually, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of Star Wars Episode Three when Palpatine has his coming out party, and he's just like, I'm here, I'm evil now, it was me all along. Yep. And it's just him having the best fucking time of his life. And he's like, hey, Yoda. Hi, Yoda, let me chuck this at you. Here, <laughs> yeah, Catch. Like, it has that feeling to it. Like, Bill's been, what do you say, like, trillions year in the making or whatever. And I love that he's partying first before he goes to Phase 2, because he's been working, and he's a threat. And it's it's scary, and they're, they the animation is great. I, I just... I love the animation of this episode, especially, like, the weirdness bubbles. They go all out. They don't shun away. And nothing's easy. And the stakes are high and the stakes are real. And it's great. I love this episode. Yep. They got to pay it off because they made people wait. (laughs) Oh, gosh, (laughs) yeah. Wait, wait, wait. wait. So they better give them a good payoff. So I'm spoiled. I get to just watch it week by week. But, yeah. Yeah, um, actually, I mean, I think the next episode came out, let's see, that's November, it was... like three months or something like that? Oh, I was wrong, it was about a month between them, when it's supposed to be a full movie, and then between next week's episode and the actual finale, it was, it was the three months, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, so, alright, Chris, where can people find you? You can find me at twotruefreaks.com. That's our website where we also have J Guys and Jedi, the other podcast that Hope and I co-host where we do, we're doing resistance right now, Star Wars resistance. It's all Star Wars cartoons, except we're going to do the Mandalorian too. So it's basically all, it's all the Star Wars, all Star Wars TV shows. Now we're expanding our, our definition of J Guys and Jedi's as it goes along. There's a whole bunch of other podcasts of all sorts of flavors of Star Trek. We got Power Rangers. We got Kaiju. We got wrestling. We got all sorts of stuff going on. We got comic books galore. Book reviews. Book reviews. Everything. Everything nerd related that you want. It's all over there. TwoTrueFreaks.com. You can also find us on Facebook at Two True Freaks Podcast or the Two True Freaks Cantina. And you can find us on Twitter, where Gene Gene, the Trekker Machine, runs our Twitter podcast. And I say that because Gene is writing the screenplay to Trekker, which has no relation to Star Trek, but Gene is also a Trekker who's actually even made Star Trek fan films in his illustrious career. So he's Trekker all the way through. But that's where they can find me. Where can they find you, Hope? 
This is, of course, the podcast for geekygirlexperience.com. Um, over there, you can read my reviews and my writing and stuff like that. This show has a Twitter account. Um, you can follow the show on Twitter, and it's our initials. So our show is Hope Makes Chris Watch Cartoons. So you can follow us on Twitter at HMCWCPod. And, of course, Chris said we have a, our podcast called Jiggas and Jedi. Now you can follow us at jiggasandjedi.com and follow me at Hope Molinax. All right, so do you want the title of next week's episode? Weird Mageddon Part 2? There's more than that. Oh, what was, was there more to Weird Mageddon Part 1? Or was no. it just Weird Mageddon Part 1? Okay. It was just Weird Mageddon Part 1, but the episode 2 and 3, episode 3 actually has two titles. Oh, well, let's like let's not get to that till next week, but what's Part 2? The reason it has two titles is when it runs in syndication, they break up the hour into two 30-minute slots, so that's why it has oh, two titles. Yeah. But next week is... Weird Mageddon Part 2, Escape from Reality. Oh, sounds like the story of my life. (laughs) Any thoughts about Escape from Reality? No, it sounds perfectly in tune with, uh, it sounds like the perfect title for it to give nothing away. (laughs) (laughs) I, you know. While sounding exciting. I'm glad you said that, because I almost put in a note of, like, let me say, put this in before your speculation corner, and then I was just like, I don't know. So I'm glad you said that, because I was debating whether or not to to tell you it earlier. Yeah. All right, you guys. Well, I hope you keep your reality together. Look out for those Cthulhu monsters. You know, don't let anybody come and turn you into a chair. But if you do, stick back, relax, and we'll see you next week. Hope it's an easy chair. Bye, you guys. I hope they turn me into a high chair. Why? So you, can, so you can have a baby, like, shit on you? No, man, it's a Cheech and Chong joke. It's a 420 joke, Hope. Oh, <laughs> high chair! Jeez. <laughs> oh, my brain. My brain did not get that one. Anyway, I should probably stop recording now. <laughs>